Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Victoria, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Wednesday, December 12th. We are reading from the Big Book, Chapter 5, How It Works. And we are at page 80, the fourth paragraph, beginning with a sentence, after consulting with his wife and partner. Today's readers are, in the order they will be reading, Michelle, Sharon, Carol P., Judy B., and Fran. The share code for the meeting yesterday, Tuesday, December 11th, is 3486. The OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now call on Anne-Marie to read the 12 steps. Good morning. This is Anne-Marie, Recovered Compulsive Eater. One, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol that our life had become. I'm sorry, let me start over. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, Anne-Marie. I will now call on Margaret Kay to read the Twelve Traditions, please. Good morning, this is Margaret Kay from South Jersey. Um, number one, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is the desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose to carry its message to, to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group but never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service could centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such would never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. 
10, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name would never be drawn into public controversy. 11, our public relation policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, Lenny Pass. Thanks, Margaret. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the big book, Chapter 5, on page 80, the fourth paragraph, beginning with a sentence, after consulting with his wife and partner. I will ask Michelle to begin reading, please. Good morning, Victoria. Thank you. This is Michelle, Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Missouri. Good morning, Vision, for you. After consulting with his wife and partner, he came to the conclusion that it was better to take those risks than to stand before his creator guilty of such ruinous slander. He saw that he had to place the outcome in God's hands or he would soon start drinking again, and all would be lost anyhow. He attended church for the first time in many years. After the sermon, he quietly got up and made an explanation. His action met with widespread approval, and today he is one of the most trusted citizens in his town. This all happened years ago. There's really so much in this paragraph. I'm, I'm just going to comment about the first two sentences. After consulting his wife and partner, he came to the conclusion that it was better to take those risks than to stand before his creator guilty of his ruinous slander. And, um, you know, looking at the paragraph previously to this, um, you know, I'm, I'm hearing self in there and his concern about himself and his reputation and reputation, reputation of others. And it seems to me there's a, a shift um, coming into this paragraph because now he's, he's willing to consult, consult others. He consulted his wife and partner uh, the same way I would consult my sponsor or I would consult other recovered people in the program. And it takes humility for me to do that because before, um, you know, approaching these steps, I thought I had all the answers and I was relying on self. And um, in the previous paragraph, it sounds like there's a little bit of balking, a little bit of hesitation there, understandably so. He's thinking about himself and what might happen. He's thinking about what the outcome might be. And that just reminded me of the beginning page of this chapter, um, page 58, when it's, it's, you know, telling me, you know, do you want what we have? And if you do, um, it's asking me, are you willing to go to any length to get it? Um, if I am, then I'm ready to take these steps. But then it says that some of these we balked. We thought we could find an easier, softer way, and I did too. Uh, when I was working on step nine, there was hesitation. There was some balking. Um, but then, you know, I remembered I wanted what recovered people had. And um, it says, you know, it reminds me if I try to hold on to these old ideas, uh, the result would be nil. And my old ideas were thinking that I could do this on my own, uh, thinking that my ideas were best. And certainly my old ideas were all about self-reliance and not relying on God. And um, in working step nine, it does take a, a shift in humility, which happened to me um, from accepting directions from my sponsor um, 
and and actually applying these steps, working these steps, reading the literature and applying them and and turning to God the same way I feel that in this paragraph that's what happened with this gentleman. Um, he, He got humble and he's turning to God and he's seeing that he needed to place the outcome in God's hands. And we learn that is that is our right position, that God is our employer, God is our director, and just trusting in God. And so I see a shift here, and the same uh, shift is guaranteed uh, to me and to all of us um, by letting the, you know, just working with a sponsor, working with a recovered person, being willing um, to take these risks and take these steps, the same thing can happen to me. Um, and they're just sharing these experiences and the possibility of um, what recovery is going to look like as I take these steps. Thanks for allowing me to share. I'll pass. Thank you, Michelle. Who else would like to comment on what was just read? Press star 1 to unmute. Someone else like to comment? Good morning, it's Leah. Good morning, Leah. Go, Good morning. go ahead, please, Leah. Thank you so much. Good morning, everybody. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. As I look at this paragraph, you know, I see the same uh, progress, you know, that we make. Um, when it comes to the program of recovery in its entirety, you know, you see here uh, at the beginning this first sentence, after consulting with his wife and partner, he came to the conclusion that it was better to take those risks than to stand before his creator guilty of such ruinous slander. So after discussion and after giving it very serious thought, because obviously this was a very delicate situation, Uh, This man came to a conclusion. He came to a conclusion in his mind that it was going to be better to take these risks than to stand before his creator guilty of such ruinous slander. That's, you know, after, after investigating the matter, after giving it careful discussion and contemplation, he came to that conclusion. Was coming to a conclusion enough? No, it was not enough. Because uh, we see the next sentence, he saw that he had to place the outcome in God's hands or he would soon start drinking again and all would be last anyhow. He was making a decision here, uh, much like you and I have to make a decision. Uh, in step three, he made a decision as well. He saw that he had to place the outcome in God's hands or he would start drinking again and all would be lost anyhow. Um, you know, because that's the reality with this disease. You know, we either deal with the disease or it will dis- it will deal with us. That's the bottom line. You know, we're either going to, uh, you know, have this transformation which will expel the obsession of the mind um, or else, you know, we will be back in those bags and boxes once again. So he came to a conclusion. He made a decision to put the outcome in God's hands. Is that enough? Is is coming to a conclusion and making a decision enough? No, it's not. Because then we see further down, he attended church for the first time in many years. After the sermon, he quietly got up and made an explanation. His action met widespread approval. So it is this... uh, this path of conclusion, decision, and action, his action. It wasn't enough that he just made a conclusion. It wasn't enough that he had this conversation with another person and just came to some decision. He actually had to take action. Ninth step, he had to rectify the situation. His action met widespread approval. That's why this chapter is entitled Into Action. It's not entitled... Uh, you know, into feeling or into emotion or into wishing or into thinking or, you know, into praying, into contemplating. It's into action. It's these very actions that transform us as people, that spiritually move us 
towards our goal, our aim, and our objective, which is a spiritual awakening, a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery. It's the same thing with our process. You know, I came to the conclusion of who and what I was. I had an allergy of the body. I had an obsession of the mind. I was powerless over food. My life had become unmanageable. (laughs) Was that enough? To understand my disease? No, it was not. I had to make a decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God as I understood him. Was that enough? Was it enough for me to make a decision? Even after coming to the conclusion, no, it was not enough. I had to take action. What are the action steps? The action steps, steps four through nine, as given specifically uh, and with clear-cut direction in this big book. And so it's the same process here, conclusion, decision, action. With that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leah. Who else would like to comment on this paragraph? This is Robin. Good morning, Robin. Good morning, Robin. Uh, Go ahead, please, and then Monica. This is Robin. I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, You know, it takes a lot of courage to do these things. This is a courageous program and um, courage to take that leap of faith. And I see it as, you know, I'm reading this paragraph and thinking it's really, it's a personal relationship with my higher power. I mean, we talk to people, we go through this stuff, we we are honest with our fellows about um, the things that we've done and we ask for help, you know, deciding how we should make our amends. But really the bottom line is, um, do I want to stand before my creator clean? I could, I could take the easy way out. Very, you know, I mean, I, I still don't need to take somebody else's, take somebody else's guidance. But it's, it's my personal relationship with my higher power that determines what action I'm going to take. And do I want to stand in front of my creator clean or guilty of such ruinous slander? Um, and then it, 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 it I mean. When I think about the serenity prayer, the courage to change, that's what happens when I make a decision and take the action to do something hard. But I'm left with my higher power at the end of the day. And at the end of the day, none of you come with me to the pearly gates. (laughs) It's just me and my higher power. And how do I want to do that? Do I want to do that with a clean heart, knowing that I did my best in this life? Or um, am I going to take you know, am I going to take my cred with me? So personal relationship. Thanks, and I'll pass. Thank you, Robin. Go ahead, Monica. Thank you. Thank you very much. Good morning, everyone. My name is Monica, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And thank you, Robin. You took the words out of my mouth. Um, Basically, what I was going to say, he saw that he had to place the outcome in God's hands or he would start drinking again. And you know, the whole uh, reason and process of working through these 12 steps is to get a better relationship or to even just develop a relationship with God, with our higher power, with God. And it all boils down to trusting and relying on God. And so by step nine here, we have been working on these steps and our relationship has been uh, growing, developing. And we see more and more, and the longer you are in this program, it is, it's God, it's God, it's God. Either he is everything or he is nothing. And we do have to put our trust and reliance in him. He's got the master plan, you know. He's the father, we're the child. He's the director, and we're um, one of the principals here. We're here to do his, his will. And so... Yes, more action here. And here you're so close here. It, you know, we're, in the, we're doing the ninth step amends. This is the last one of the action steps. And those wonderful promises that we're going to be reading in a few days here on 83 and 84, it says when will these materialize? They are going to happen before we are halfway through this phase of our development. And what is that phase? It's that ninth step. 
It's making these amends. This is when the recovery is going to happen. This is when those promises are going to start coming true. So we've got to put our trust and reliance on God and do this, that we want to clean our house. How free do you want to be, you know? Are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? Let's take the actions. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Monica. Who else would like to share? This is Christy. Go ahead, please. Hi, good morning, Victoria. Good morning, a vision for you. This is Christy, a recovered compulsive overeater. And um, <laughs> unfortunately, I have my own experiences with uh, making a mess out of my life that I needed to clean up. Um, and one that comes to mind in particular is a situation I had you know, years ago when I was dating someone and they had agreed to pay for a dream vacation. You know, for us and, and for me, they'd agreed to pay for the dream vacation for me and, you know, we were going to go with some friends. And in the heat of the moment, of course, I said, I will pay you back. I'll pay you back because um, those are the kinds of things I said. And unfortunately, um, you know, even though I said that, I had no intention of um, paying this person back. And, um, you know, she ended up taking me to small claims court. And, you know, when I was served papers, of course, my first thought was, um, you shouldn't have you shouldn't have done this you know you shouldn't have paid for my trip you should not have loaned me this money you shouldn't have given me the trip um you know because that's the way i uh, used to think about my behavior you know well it was her fault of course for um even offering and uh it had nothing to do with me agreeing to pay back and and um, unfortunately, I had to go to small claims court where I, where I still tried to weasel my way out of it. You know, I, you know, my best thinking just had me digging a hole deeper and deeper and deeper. You know, I still tried to put the blame on her. I still tried to, you know, make it her fault and, um, you know, tried to make it that I never said that I would uh, pay back, you know, did not take any responsibility for it. And the court of law saw it differently, thank goodness. And I mean, really... Um, um, and, um, you know, my wages ended up being garnished, although I did eventually pay her back. And, um, you know, I, was ha I had to. I had, you know, I had swept the wreckage of myself into a corner. And, you know, it wasn't pretty. It was embarrassing. Deep down inside, it was embarrassing. I knew I was lying. And, uh you know, it wasn't a good situation. So, again, the money part was taken care of, but the brain part wasn't. You know, I knew that I had done this person wrong. And so, you know, a number of years later after getting into recovery, you know, I could have said it was water under the bridge. I had paid the person back. It didn't really matter. And in discussion with my sponsor, you know, of course I needed to take care of this. I needed to take care of this. I needed to take care of my side of the street. And... um you know, I lived in a different state at the time, but wrote a letter and apologized and had to take into consideration the same kinds of things this person did. You know, what if she sued me again? I mean, I didn't know what the court of law would say about, you know, me admitting or anything like that. I mean, I'd taken care of the money part, but I don't know. Um, you know, but I did, you know, I did talk to my partner at the time about it and say, you know, here's what I did, you know, and here's what I'm going to do. I mean, I apologize for it because I need to take care of it. And it didn't matter what the risks were. It didn't matter what may or may not happen. You know, maybe the person would come back. Um, who knew? But I knew. I knew I couldn't live with what I'd done. I couldn't live with what I'd done. And it wasn't enough for me to say it was water under the bridge and I paid, you know, I paid my price and I'd done all of that. I needed to take care of my behavior. I needed to take care of my behavior so my mind could be free. So my mind could be free. And for years after that, you know, before I made amends, I would just shudder at the thought of how I behaved, you know, how I lied. Um, it wasn't pretty, but um, thank goodness we get the opportunity to clean all that up so I didn't have to carry it around with me anymore. And I'm just so, so grateful for the opportunity to do that. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Christy. Who else would like to share on this paragraph? This is Kim. Kim, good morning. Go ahead, please. Good morning, Victoria. Good morning, my fellows. My name is Kim. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. I just want to look back. What is he making amends for? It says here, while drinking, he accepted a sum of money from a bitterly hated business rival. 
giving no receipt for it. He subsequently denied having received the money and used the incident as a basis for discrediting the man. So he publicly discredited this man. So what was his amends? His amends wasn't just going to this gentleman and admitting what he did. He attended church for the first time in many years, and after the sermon, he quietly got up and made an explanation. So he publicly humiliated this man, so he publicly made this reparation. And I, I think this is so powerful, and this is so important, because I think about the times that I let people take blame for things that I did. I think about when I'm a kid. Um, someone's on mute. I can hear some background noise, just FYI. Um, and, uh, or I used gossip a lot, and I would publicly trash people. So was my amends enough to go and just apologize to someone for letting them take blame for me? Or did I need to go back and make reparations to that person by publicly letting my, say, my parents know that I let my brother get grounded for the, all the food that I ate that I pretended I didn't eat? Or that I trashed friends and I needed to go back to those friends and said that I made up these stories to try to trash somebody. So I think this is such a powerful story, not because of just what he did, but the, the understanding that he, the amends wasn't just admitting his wrong. He had to make right what he did wrong. He publicly discredited this man, and his amends was to publicly admit that. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. This is Victoria, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. I'd like to share on this paragraph. It tells us that it was erroneous slander, the slander against his partner or his partners apparently ruined them. And so this was serious. And one of... One of the obstacles in my way when I worked the 11th step, when I came up, I mean uh, the ninth step, when I came up on the ninth step was my sense of terminal uniqueness that my sense of guilt um, and shame about things I had done was so large and overwhelming I could easily convince myself no one else is as bad as I was. And one of the things, one of the reasons this story was so important to me when I was working my ninth step is because it gave me an example of another alcoholic who caused someone else ruin. It was serious. And at the same time, the action, the destructive action that he took, there was also a path for redemption. And for some years before I really found recovery in this program, I had the promises framed and hanging on my wall. But when I worked this step, the ninth step, it was the first time that I ever repeatedly went back to those promises as a source of strength. That I was, these, these were promises of what I would receive if I took these actions. Was I going to believe the promises? Or would I believe the promises or not? So, it, I had to get past my sense of terminal uniqueness that there was nobody as bad as I was. Um, and when we're long enough in the fellowship, we discover that as compulsive, eater, compulsive eaters, addicts, we, we have done some very sick things, um, the wreckage of which we carry. And the big book tells us elsewhere that the alcoholic is above all an actor. We present a face to the world which is false, which is untrue. And that's an excruciating split to live with. And I certainly lived with it. I carried this wreckage in one particular 
case of harm that I had done, I consulted with my sponsor, I consulted with other recovered people, and I began a faith walk with the God of my understanding to make this amends. The person was out of state. I hadn't had contact with them for several decades. I had no idea if I could find them. I had only a shred of information to begin searching. And at each instance, phone call after phone call, um, I thought, this can't possibly happen. I can't possibly be led to this person. But I was thrown back onto the second step. Did I believe that I could be restored to sanity and it would be a higher power that did it? And I put it all in God's hands. This ninth step, this experience, was the first time I completely took my hands off the wheel and said, God, you've got it. You're entirely in charge here. The stakes are high, and you are entirely in charge here. And ultimately, I was led miraculously to this individual. And when I showed up to make amends, her husband accompanied her. And I thought, all right, God, it seems to me you intend that I make these amends with her husband present as, um, as deeply personal as they are. And I did that. And as was mentioned earlier in the meeting, all of these actions transformed me. They were transforming me from the inside out that I was... Every instance, I leaned over that cliff and fell into the God of my understanding. Carry me, guide me, direct me. It changed me. It made it possible after the ninth step for me to continue to live in a way trusting that I had never lived before and trusting that power that power that commit that brought about the first miracle of removing the food obsession that I could lean into that same power for cleaning up wreckage I believed would be with me for the rest of my life so that once again I could become trusted well I had no idea of how that meeting would come out that meeting that ninth step amends became many miracles in the space of one and a half hours and I was so clear I was not in charge I was simply taking the action uh, with that I'll pass who else would like to comment on this paragraph is there anyone else who would like to comment on this paragraph Press star one to unmute. All right, if not, we will move on to the next paragraph. Sharon, would you read, please? Good morning, this is Sharon, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. The chances are that we have domestic troubles. Perhaps we are mixed up with women in a fashion we wouldn't care to have advertised. We doubt if, in this respect, alcoholics are fundamentally much worse than other people. But drinking does complicate sex relations at, in the home. After a few years with an alcoholic, a wife gets worn out, resentful and uncommunicative. uncommunicative. How could she be anything else? The husband begins to feel lonely, sorry for himself. He commences to look around at in the nightclubs or their equivalent for something besides liquor. Perhaps he is having a secret and exciting affair with the girl under, who understands. In fairness, we must say that she may understand, but what are we going to do about a thing like that? 
a man so involved often feels very remorseful at times, especially if he's married to a loyal and courageous girl who has literally gone through hell for him. And this is very interesting, and I think a higher power has a sense of humor that he he uh, gives me this particular paragraph to uh, read and, and uh, share some words about. Um, the chances are we have domestic troubles, and, and, you know, quite frankly, how could we not? If our focus is completely on our food uh, and everything else is secondary to it, those people in our lives are bound to, to feel that and bound to get some, resentful, some resentments and, and uh, perhaps even as we begin to recover, uh, resentments continue to build because then our focus is on our recovery, on our program, on those relationships that, it, that are going to help us to recover. In my case, I also carried around resentment. I was so, so resentful that it was difficult for me to, to, to handle my step nine. It was difficult for me to see my partner's uh, part, uh, my, you know, where, what I had done because I was so, had such deep uh, resentments from years and years of holding stuff in and so for me to get through that step nine was like chiseling and it was like going to God and it was like getting glimpses of 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 uh, how that other person, how my partner had, had to have seen things. And I really had to get close to what my part was. So this was grueling for me, but I stuck with it and quite honestly, I could tell that story about what my partner had done in such a way that I could get everybody's sympathy, just about, uh, except that I had a partner that kept me focused on my side of the street. And I think I got to a point where I talked about my situation so much that people would just say leave so I don't have to hear this anymore. But I had to stick with it because of one thing. Somehow or other, my higher power had a grip of my heart in such a way that I knew that even though I couldn't see my part, that for me to leave, the problem would come with me because the problem was in me. And that somehow or other, by the grace of God, I could get through this, that I could see from his point of view how I had hurt him, how I, it was me that had created these problems. And so I had to continue to work on the big book. And I think I had to, and I had to make that, that first amends, knowing that in my heart I felt wounded. I felt hurt, and I had to set that aside, and I had to to um, really look at how I had hurt. And even though initially I really couldn't see it, but I know that I had there was things that I had done that had caused harm. So I had to just had to make amends for what I could accept. And I had to just continue to allow myself to be open to my God to show me, to reveal to me in the midst of the pain that I was feeling what my part in this uh, damage, in damaging of him was. And I knew it was there. And so I had to just stick with it and in all honesty I want to say it magically happened just with my wanting it to happen. But in all honesty, it took years because in some ways we kept offending back and forth, even in the midst of trying to, to get clean, to, get, um, to, to do my part. There was still injury taking place, place because we had those patterns, the patterns and the, and the dueling and the back and forth and the old way of doing things and 
the old way of reacting and and um and until I could just not only accept responsibility for what I had done, I had to be the grown up in the room. I had to be the recovered one and make those first moves, even in the midst of continuing to feel hurt, I had to reach out and trust God to be with me. I had to be the the big person. And then I just saw walls crumbling and I saw that um, the amends, which I had to, I had to have an attitude of a step nine attitude as I lived my life daily, you know, daily making amends. Uh, and as I continued in this process, then I saw the walls uh, come down and I saw that the uh, promises that we're going to talk about later. I, but this this whole thing is a process, has been a process, continues to be a process, and I have to stay in this attitude of, of uh, you know, holding on to my higher power and uh, making sure that I I daily do my part and and see where I am hurting and offending and taking a new way of looking at life. Um, And that's what it's had to take for me to uh, work this out with my, the person closest to me in this life. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Sharon. Would someone else care to comment on what was just read? Um, this is Kate. May I share? Yes, Kate. Go ahead, please. Hi. Um, what I was drawn to is the after a few years with an alcoholic, a wife gets worn out, resentful, and uncommunicative. How could she be anything else? And and it reminds me of um, you know how our interpersonal relationships are hurt when we're in the disease and um, the lies and the you know, sneaking around to get to a get to a binge and and be alone with our food. What um, you know, what I would do to make sure that other people, you know, just weren't there so that just so that I could be alone with my disease and um, and the good people that I have around in my. In my life, my family members that I've hurt, I just so, so that I could so that I could get my food. And um, you know, as I'm reading through this and you know, feeling I uh, just just feeling for them and um how I can relate this in my program is like, you know, the people in my life who have stood by me and who have uh, seen me go through this, like those are the people today that I need to like treat better and love fuller and be kinder to with my higher power because, um, you know, now that I'm living a life without, I, constantly being you know binging and sneaking around like I can be more present for them when they need me to I can be um, a better sister and uh, daughter and family member um, fiance than when I'm in the food thanks for letting me share Thanks, Kate. Who else would like to share on what was read? Uh, this is Lois. Can I hear you? Lois, go ahead, please. Okay, good morning, uh, Victoria. Um, yes, I can relate to this, uh, all of this, this paragraph. Um, I, my, I was in a marriage on, on that, um, to an alcoholic who had not recovered. Um, I was a compulsive overeater who had all of my own resentments and loneliness and anger. And, and, um, and in going through these steps, and this was an ex-husband at this, at my, at this point in my life 
who who had still not recovered and who was still very very angry, resentful in all of the family situations as well. So he was it was a very troubled uh it was a very troubled amends that I was trying to look at and um it was very difficult for me to look for my part in this because we had so many years of being tangled up in disease and in alcoholism that um you know it took me this was one of my hardest ones and um I I you know I did I did work through this with my I mean I did include my sponsor with this I asked God for help, and um, and she kept, you know, re, re, she kept uh, remember reminding me that I was willing to go to any length, and I had I had such fear, and uh, in doing this, um, I, this person would not meet with me personally, so I, you know, with with my sponsors and God's help, I composed a letter, and found a way, you know, that it, I had to find a way that I could sincerely see my part in this. And, and to write a brief, you know, amends to this person. And, um, you know, with God's help and with a, ter- a lot of fear, I did this, and I put it in the mail, you know, very, very scared. I had, ton- I had tried to do some of this before, and, and I, you know, it was not well received at all. I was ridiculed, and so, you know, it brought back a very negative response. So, you know, this time I, I, it was a much more true and I had a lot of more integrity, and I could really feel, you know, the, the sorry. And I wrote that, and I hope it was, you know, received that way. But I learned here that, you know, I I can't. I there's no guarantee how it'll be received. It's important that I do this. This is for me to to um, take responsibility. So so I did that, and you know, a couple of weeks and by, and it was not well received. It was um, very badly received. In fact, you know, a big. That package came in the mail with all kinds of letters, and but um, and and you know I could see that this person still was he was a very sick man. So you know I just said the the sick man's prayer and continued to do that. Um, two years later, this person died. You know my ex husband died, and um, and and I I really I had a really wonderful sense of release because I know. That um, I had, you know, I had offered to um, to meet with this person. I had told him how sorry I was for certain things in my in our relationship, and um, and and I know that I had done what I and I would have done more if he had allowed me to. So I, I was free, you know. When this person died, I I was free. I said prayers for him, and I still look forward to you know in the afterworld, you know that that someday that we'll all be together. And um, as we once were. So thank you. And with that, I'm going to pass. Thank you, Lois. Would someone else care to comment on the paragraph that was read? This is Anne-Marie. I'm sorry, I couldn't quite make out your name. Anne-Marie, I have a cold. Anne-Marie. <laughs> Go ahead, please, Anne-Marie. Okay, um, thank you so much. And I, I just uh, appreciate um, all what Lois has just said. I had just about the same response, um, the same experience well, with my ex-husband. And I, you know, he hasn't passed away yet. Um, but you know, the freedom that I got from it, and um, you know, I walked through the fear, and I didn't walk through the fear alone. I walked through that experience with my sponsor, with a recovered um, compulsive eater. And I, too, wrote out the letter, and we, I read it to her first and prayed about it. And this took some time. I just, you know, I learned, you know, in this ninth step not to be impulsive with these, you know, more serious um, amends I needed to make. Um, it took time. I needed to seriously pray, rely on God, and, you know, use the person that God put in my life at the time to help me with this. And um, even though it wasn't received the way that I was hoping it would, um, I received a, a very nasty um, email back. In fact, uh, I had to mail this without a return address because this man is um, I think he still is um, 
dangerous uh, to me. Um, but he somehow found uh, he found me on Facebook. That's uh, how he found me and sent me a um, you know notice on Facebook. And um, I could I had compassion. I was surprised that um, you know it wasn't anger and I want to get him back and I want to you know I didn't respond to his you know his response to me. Um, instead, I I did that prayer on page 67, so uh, to prevent me from being angry, and yeah, and I wasn't angry. I could see this man is still very sick. Um, God help him, you know. And um, what what is I can see now why they say turnaround. I had a question one time. Why do they call it turnaround? You know, um, I could see what a turnaround it was for me to be able to see this man in a different light. I saw him as a monster before, and um, I now see him as um, one of God's children who's very sick. So it did a lot for me. Um, so thank you. Thank you, Anne-Marie. Would someone else like to share before we move on? All right, let's move on to the next paragraph. Uh, Carol P., would you read, please? Yes. Good morning, Victoria. Good morning, a vision for you, Carol P., compulsive overeater. Whatever the situation, we usually have to do something about it. If we are sure our wife does not know, should we tell her? Not always, we think. If she knows in a general way that we have been wild, should we tell her in detail? Undoubtedly, we should admit, admit our own fault. She may insist on knowing all the particulars. She will want to know who the woman is and where she is. We feel we ought to say to her that we have no right to involve another person. We are sorry for what we have done, and God willing, it shall not be repeated. More than that, we cannot do. We have no right to go further. Though there may be justifiable exceptions, and though we wish to lay down no rule of any sort, we have often found this the best course to take. And I would briefly like to share on that. The, the we have found this the best course to take are the recovered people. Um, and there's clear directions of how to do this. Um, there's a few ifs and a lot of we's. Um, you know, I do not buy my own peace of mind at the expense of others by, um, you know, saying things I shouldn't say. Um, and it doesn't lighten my burden uh, when I recklessly make the crosses of others heavier. Um, you know, here, uh, definitely working with a recovered sponsor, uh, God, a lot of prayer here. And, um, you know, we just don't go alone. So with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Carol. Who else would like to comment on what was just read? Press star 1 to unmute. Well, this is Victoria, Compulsive Overeater. I'll, I'll comment briefly on this. Um, this theme of sexual infidelity um, that is discussed on this page, um, for me and perhaps for others, it might be easy to say, well, never did that, um, although I'm sure many of us did. Um, I, what I, the way I relate to what's on this page in terms of the infidelity is a breaking of trust. It is a breaking of trust with someone who is close to me, who is very close to me, and breaking of that trust in a deep way so that it is highly injurious to that other person. And in my very self-centered state, um, which I inevitably would be practicing my disease for as many years as I did and feeling like a victim of life, uh, plenty of self-pity uh, for me, it required the beginning of a psychic change for me to be able to see myself Clearly, and how deeply injurious 
the breaking of trust with another human being, especially one in intimate relationship is, and how long-term those consequences can be. As it, the book says earlier, we often set in motion ourselves the, the trouble which then comes back to haunt us later. With that, I'll pass. Would someone else like to share on what was read? Press star one to unmute. I want to make a mic check here. Are you, um, Leah, are you hearing me on the line? Yes. Is anybody hearing me? Okay. Yes. All right. Yes. Okay. Good. Yes. Uh, I'll right. go ahead and share briefly. <laughs> yes. Uh, my name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Just briefly here, we are sorry for what we have done, and God willing, it shall not be repeated. More than that, we cannot do. We have no right to go further. Um, you know, the big book makes it clear here uh, to be cautious when making these amends, particularly in these very delicate, sensitive situations, because the truth can be used to injure as well as to heal. So this is where the guidance of a recovered uh, sponsor comes in, um, because these are situations which um, are deeply painful not only to ourselves but to other people. There's no statute of limitations on broken hearts. Um, and, you know, for those of us that are coming out of the grips of addiction, um, you know, there were food stains all over my relationships because of my behavior and my self-will on riot and my instincts out of control. And those selfish, inconsiderate habits of mine kept my home in turmoil and all those relationships uh, that I had been involved in, the relationships that I had been involved in, um, you know, had created pain. So the program of recovery, well, you know, it comes along and it uh, brings about the opportunity to take responsibility for my behavior, take responsibility for my actions, take responsibility for my thinking, because all action is born in thought. The program of recovery helped to develop uh, my maturity and my mo emotional, um, you know, maturity and realizing that, um, you know, this program of recovery, it can bring harmony to three major relationships. Number one, harmony with my relationship with God by realizing there is a God and, Leah, you are not it. Um, you know, harmony with myself, meaning this is the way I've been thinking. These are my attitudes. These are my ideas. These are my emotions, and they are no longer working for me. And so the program of recovery through these action steps allowed me to take a look at those attitudes and ideas that were creating so much conflict and collision in my life. And through the program of recovery, those old ideas and those worn-out attitudes were cast to one side. And, of course, through the transformation, we're brought back into harmony with other people. That, uh, you know, I take responsibility for this take responsibility that the lack of emotional intimacy and the lack of physical intimacy in my marriage, for instance, created pain in, other, in another person, and to take responsibility for that, um, that this program of recovery is life-changing, life-transforming. Um, these steps tear down that prison that had been built around me, and the character building is actually accomplished by first tearing down and getting rid of those uh, attitudes and ideas. And what remains after this tearing down process is what we're after. What remains is that spiritual light that resides in each and every one of us and can allow us to be finally walking humbly and gracefully and usefully under the mercy of God. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leah. Thank you to everyone who has shared. 
We will now close with a reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Judy B., would you please read A Vision for You? Certainly. This is Judy B., uh, Recovered Compulsive Overeater from Massachusetts. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.